0: Hello and welcome to the Root Simple Podcast, the audio companion to the Root Simple blog, where we cover gardening, home economics, and DIY living. In episode 9, Kelly and I will discuss artificial turf and fashion on the homestead. Welcome, Kelly, to the podcast.
1: <laughs> well, thank you for having me on your podcast,
0: Eric. It's not my podcast. It's our podcast.
1: But you get to make all the introductions and stuff. It yeah. sounds like your podcast. Well,
0: even though, well, we should have you do the introduction some week. <laughs> We're here in the uh, root simple posmodrome, podmodrome, is that what we could call it? Anyways, let's start with artificial turf. We had quite a spirited discussion on the blog about the topic of artificial turf, and it kind of began with a post that you did on a truly horrific landscaping job that our local Los Angeles Department of Water and Power did to the front of a facility on a very busy street in an urban area, specifically distributing station number 54, which is on, uh, what street is it on? Hillhurst? Uh, I Hillhurst, think? yeah. In the Los, Los Feliz. Feliz area, where I think Madonna used to live, by the way. So this is a kind of a fancy part of town.
1: Mm, expensive rents there.
0: And the landscaping consisted of? It
1: consisted of a whole lot of artificial turf and a little bit of purple gravel mulch and some of the saddest, saddest looking agave type things that I've ever seen that were plopped down randomly in the uh, purple gravel mulch. It was, it was 75% artificial turf and then against the back of the building was uh, – You know, like what would be like a perennial where, you know, perennials tend to go back at the base of the building, except that there were just brand new sort of trampled on looking plants placed at random intervals in the ground and then surrounded with actually purple, purple gravel. And I know that that used to just be, I think, lawn. It was just
0: It was just a lawn. And
1: it was, you know, sad lawn. Most lawn in Los Angeles Is kind of sad. It takes heroic efforts to have a lush emerald green lawn in Los Angeles, so most of them look kind of baked and and weedy most of the time. And it was one of those, Um, but that would have been better than what they replaced it with. And of course, you know, we are in Los Angeles, and Los Angeles is in an epic drought. And I'm sure the Department of Water and Power felt that they should be addressing drought conditions. In their landscaping, so they decided to relandscape the front of this big building. Why they chose this well, path, I cannot imagine. It
0: coincides with a rebate program that they have right now, which offers residents, and I think commercial uh, people too, $3 a square foot to replace That's a lot lawns with either drought-tolerant plants or what they call non-vegetative, what is it, non-vegetative... Ground cover. Ground cover, exactly, which means a couple of things. That means decomposed granite, it means mulch. Unfortunately, they also included... In my opinion, unfortunately, they included artificial turf within the non-vegetative category. I don't really have a problem with, with decomposed granite or mulch. Mulch is great. Mulch, mulch is, is ideal, the best I option think. here. Decomposed granite has a place in pathways, but that's a whole other, that's a whole other podcast. Uh, mulch is the best thing, but to incentivize that artificial turf, is i think really questionable and it seems like that was what they're trying to say with this landscape actually when you first showed it to me i thought this was someone's conceptual art project because that purple <laughs> gravel was so strange it's
1: so ugly that you, it looks like get, art
0: where do you get purple i've gravel? never seen purple gravel it was a bright vivid purple well
1: it's not that bright really it's a plum colored gravel but still it ain't natural like some meat. kind of
0: dyed rock or something. Uh, yeah, very, just, very strange. Who,
1: who did they contract with to do this? There's so many great landscapers in in LA and and people working on these issues, uh, working on the issues of drought and working with drought tolerant plants. And the reason it made me angry and why I Instagrammed it and then we blogged about it was because I expect the LA DWP to set examples. And what we need is is for government buildings to change their paradigm of landscaping and show us what lies beyond the traditional paradigm of the lawn with some shrubs at the foundation, which is how 99% of landscapes seem to be constructed. And And that kind of paradigm might work in other parts of the country and other parts of the world, but it is utterly inappropriate here. Yet you can't blame homeowners for reproducing that as if that's if that's how – Um, you know, every every building they've ever seen is landscaped that way. Why should we expect them to step out of the box and try to do something different? So it I think the government has has a role to play in 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 providing um, models example, and exactly. good examples for us to follow. And they are in in this particular landscaping project. They've created the very worst possible landscape situation they could. They could. I, the only thing they could do worse is put some pink flamingos in it. That, you know, I don't. Well,
0: I don't we, know what we considered to, actually sneaking some pink flamingos in. We were to, considering doing to a, make it into doing, the conceptual art piece that it actually should be. Well, we were also
1: but, talking about putting a windmill and a uh, and a uh, ball cup on it and oh, making it into on. a putt, putt court
0: i have an idea uh-huh. we should buy a thousand garden gnomes <laughs> <and> <laughs> that would just in insult grid. the
1: garden gnomes anyway no, it does look like what it does look like is a is a putt-putt golf course is exactly what it looks oh, like oh yeah that's
0: right we were thinking of installing yeah a that's golf, what i was uh, yeah that, yeah that would be another really interesting possibility that's and really so easy to do
1: it would be very easy to do because it's already there It is a putt-putt golf course. So,
0: a razor blade and a cup, (laughs) and we're in business. But actually, we the same week we attended a panel discussion at the Museum of Natural History, which is the complete opposite of this. Distributing station. Uh, we saw a panel discussion with Pamela Bursler, who runs a, who's a landscape um, architect, I believe. Journalist Emily Green and Carol Bornstein, who's the director of the garden, the nature garden at the Natural History Museum. And the reason I bring it up is here's the opposite example, which is a really nice example of what to do, which is what the Natural History Museum garden is trying to show is that you can have a very beautiful garden and specifically a garden that provides habitat for birds and insects and lizards and all kinds of things. And it's kind of the opposite of this L-E-D-W-P distributing station, quote-unquote garden. Uh, The Natural History Museum provides that example that we're talking about.
1: Mm -hmm. And the talk was about this very problem, the problem of drought- Tolerant landscaping, how to encourage people to change their ways, how to model those forms. Uh, yeah, it was right after my my outburst on the on the Pinterest. So, or not Pinterest on, on Instagram. We didn't actually. The the conversation was a great conversation, but it, it to me it just sort of highlighted. What a difficult problem it is to.
0: It did touch on artificial turf, though. And yeah, people the got panelists the panelists did not mince any words. <laughs> there were expletives used actually <laughs> to describe some of the bad landscaping decisions made, including artificial turf. Mm-hmm. And I think it was it was Pamela actually who who said, "Why are we incentivizing artificial turf in in this program? And what a mistake that is."
1: Yeah, because. Well, artificial turf is terrible in so many ways. Well, it,
0: it doesn't provide habitat.
1: No habitat. doesn't. It yeah, doesn't do anything for anybody. It it's, ends
0: up in the landfill eventually.
1: Yeah, so then it'll be around forever and ever and ever because it's a plastic product. So it's like a giant, giant plastic carpet. Why would you do something like that? Um, it would stifle the life underneath the soil.
0: It doesn't sequester carbon. It's,
1: and it doesn't cool uh, the urban environment Which at all.
0: Which is, you know, it should be said that in a, in a hot climate like ours, in an urban place with all the concrete and hard surfaces we have, we don't need yet more artificial surfaces. That absorb or, heat. Exactly. Or, that, yeah. or, create, or create, a, create a heat sink. Um, heat sink. Yeah. I think I've I've heard of studies of Phoenix, Arizona, where the heat has risen over the years because of all the concrete and all the buildings and things like that. that No,
1: I know natives of Phoenix who say, you know, when they were children, you know, you didn't absolutely have to have air conditioning. You leave your windows open at night and you could sleep. It cooled off at night. And now it doesn't cool off at night there. It's just simply because of all of the materials absorbing the desert heat all day long.
0: And the last thing we noted about it is that It reinforces the lawn paradigm in our climate. Now, I want to reiterate that a lawn in a place where it rains, I don't really have a big problem with that. But in the southwestern part of the United States, it's, as Kelly mentioned, it's difficult to make a lawn look good in the first place. And it uses a lot of water and resources. You have to mow it and you know again often you end up with something that doesn't look good anyways and doesn't provide that habitat and all those other things there are lawn alternatives of course uh some of our our readers we actually had quite a spirited discussion in our post on artificial turf and uh one one reader noted that there are alternatives you can use thyme and there's other plants yarrow and things like Clover that and... that can be used as if you want that kind of surface uh, but don't want to use as much water. Mm-hmm. And, of course, we, we already mentioned mulch as an alternative in our climate.
1: I think it's really important, and this is one thing that I don't know that the artificial turf does very well. It um, I know it's perforated so water can sink down, but in our climate we need to capture our rainwater. Whatever rain falls from the sky on us is incredibly precious. We have very, very little rainfall. Like As a community, all the, the houses need to start capturing rainfall and keeping it on their land instead of sending it into the sewer through gutters and hardscaping that just you know just flushes straight like off the roof down the drive into the street.
0: Yeah, and I don't want to be absolutist about lawn. One of our readers pointed out a very successful park in our neighborhood by the Silver Lake reservoir that has a has a large lawn. That's a very popular park, maybe you oh, could yeah. say that
1: public lawn
0: public lawn, certain places it yeah. has its place, yeah, in a residential setting, maybe not so much in a commercial setting, like the distributing station, also maybe not so much. Why do we have a lawn there? Yeah. You know the distributing station's a good example who's going to hang out on that? Nobody artificial nobody, turf? nobody
1: needs that 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 nice flat space they could have. They could have landscaped that with succulents and DG, you know, they they could have terraced it up a little bit to make, because it's a big, long, skinny, flat piece of land, and it could be, it could have been shaped to make it more interesting, and then, and just put a lot of succulents and natives on it, it would have been really nice, and not very hard.
0: You know, there's another thing going on, actually, with that distributing station landscaping that I was thinking of, which is that the plants that they put in were kind of sharp, pokey plants, right? And that's... That's this, like, we don't want people hanging out here Mm -hmm. thing. You know, it's let's put up things like bougainvillea with sharp spikes and what else did they Uh, have? They had some... They were like agave type. Agaves and things like that that are pointy. Yeah, they were all... Everything was pointy. point of which is stay away from this, what could actually be a place where someone could sit down.
1: Yeah, God forbid someone should just sit down and like eat their lunch on this... What is like it's like a almost like a hundred feet of like sidewalk you know that that is fronted by this by this lawn, and the the power station is not it's not a, a public building and it's not a building that you would ever go into it it's windowless it's just a it's just a long flat facade and there's machinery I guess behind those walls I mean, there's no reason why you couldn't sit there they couldn't put some benches in and let people eat their lunches uh, you know in in the DWP garden.
0: Put some benches there. Put an example garden in there. Put a sign up that says, "Here's what the plants are. Here's how this works. Here's how you can apply this at home." Because
1: it, it's a walkable neighborhood, so a lot of people walk right past that. It's not like it's um, you know on one of those freeway-like boulevards that nobody ever walks down. It's it's right in the heart of a very uh, kind of affluent walkable neighborhood.
0: You could put a more pleasant bus stop there with mm. some shade.
1: <laughs> shade what? Uh, okay.
0: commuting by bus here can be really horrible some of these streets where this distributing station is it's just this blaring sun and an open bench and, and you're there's, staring at an ad maybe if you're lucky <laughs> and there's no shelter
1: the basically the dwp landscaping is is actively anti-nature it, exactly it, it's it, it's it's denying that we we have any relationship with nature that we need nature it's basically saying nature is a lot of trouble and we're not dealing with it i mean as i said in my Post like landscape speaks it tells a story and it tells you what your attitude is towards uh, towards plants and nature and the other creatures that we share the world with and the DWP landscape is actively hostile and as I said you know I'm sure they would have used plastic plants Along the walls, if they could have, except that I'm sure they thought they would be stolen in the night. Oh, yes. plastic plant yes. thieves. Yes. Yes, because, yeah, there's a lot of plant thieves, and I'm sure plastic plants would be stolen twice as fast as living plants. and Stolen
0: uh, and taken to a public access TV studio to sit in the <laughs> background, maybe.
1: So, yeah, it's just sending entirely the wrong message in a time when we desperately need good messages. We need good messages so badly right now for so many reasons.
0: We were, I was very angry about this situation and but it inspired me to think well this is an opportunity for us as residents of this city to to actively take part in changing this. this is a easily achievable transformation that could happen and I thought instantly of daily acts which is an organization in Petaluma, California up north which has done exactly this kind of thing they've taken, Areas just like this distributing station, little bits of um, landscaping that are neglected by the local government. And then they've come in and helped the government transform them into spaces that have native plants, that have edible plants, that provide an example garden for other people. They've gone on to do this in residential areas, too, in front lawns. They put it on a big map, they let the news media know, they get a little buzz going about it, and they raise the kind of general consciousness about how we use space in the city. And clearly, we need to do that here in Los Angeles, and there's the talent and an amazing group of people here to do that. It just needs to come together somehow.
1: Yeah, we need a, it needs like some sort of centralization um, and grant monies you know, to help, help that
0: go forward. It can, it can happen. It can happen. Now, I also mentioned in the post on artificial turf about artificial turf on athletic fields, and we had a couple people wrote in to say that artificial turf does have its place here, although even that's hotly contested. Some people said well there 's been issues with artificial turf in terms of contaminants in them
1: like they 're off gassing toxins and
0: lead actually was and a couple of years lead. ago there was a case with lead in artificial turf i 'm not actually sure what happened to that case. It was about two thousand and eight two thousand and nine I heard about that." Mm. Uh, And there's injuries. uh, Injuries, although uh, we had a comment from Dr. Brew, who works in, I think he works in the government in Phoenix, Arizona, and he said artificial turf does have its place, especially here in the desert southwest. And then he goes on to note that the newer products are better than the old ones, and basically that maintaining a large athletic field with lawn in phoenix arizona is quite an investment in water and fertilizer and pesticide applications
1: that is true it's
0: true i can i can see that for a, a large athletic field and
1: but of course there's still just the tremendous waste when that when that green carpet roll you know wears out where does it go
0: but i think dr Brew was saying there's also a lot of waste with fertilizer and pesticide applications to yeah a lawn that's, and bad, a climate too. that's that, bad too that's bad
1: too I don't know, maybe we need to think out of the box. I mean, can't what other could could the sports be played on different kinds of plants?
0: You mean like play soccer time. on a field of time?
1: Yes. You know, the bees would all be stinging all the, all the players. I players. It, it would smell good. It would smell fantastic when they were scrimmaging. I don't know. It's just, it's also stupid. You know, I mean, and what's a football p- field compared to a golf course? You know, we maintain those all the time. No one gets on those, you know, and it complains about that. You know, I'll, I don't know.
0: I jokingly suggested we should switch to the kinds of sports that you have in the Middle East, like camel racing, perhaps, <laughs> but...
1: You know, different sports, but I am all for public lawn. We got off topic a little bit, but I think you know turf has its place. But perhaps it could be shared turf because you know n- nobody needs to picnic every day of the week. You don't need a like a, a big huge piece of turf you know in your yard necessarily. Um, but you know we should definitely have easily accessible, pleasant city parks that we can go to, take our kids to, roll around in the grass, spread out a picnic blanket. And and then the, the cost of maintaining that turf becomes a community cost and a community benefit.
0: There's still not to be too much of a turf hater, but there is even, I think, in large parks, an over-reliance on it. There are some very good examples of parks that don't have lawns in them. I'm thinking of the High Line in New York, which mm-hmm. is a very, very beautiful park. That's yeah. been extremely successful. Yeah, and, and trees are important. I mean, trees, trees and shade
1: and, you know, aromatic shrubbery. Places uh, to sit. Places. Yeah, I mean, it, it, I think a good, the best park would have a real mix of things. It would have some grassy areas, for sure, for games and stuff. But, it, yeah, the... They, it could have interesting places like interesting walks and paths to follow meditation gardens, things like that
0: there's that park in west l a that we took our, my mom to actually that, oh that 's a, nice a nice park, park it 's kind they, of a
1: european style park
0: they have a there is lawn there there's a there's a bandshell for events, which is nice and a lawn in front of it, which is fine but then there's also this really nice uh decomposed granite area that that's... has an arcade of trees, shade trees with uh, movable Picnic benches or movable, well, more like cafe ca- tables ca- like cafe
1: furniture, like brightly painted little chairs and tables that so they don't have chain to the ground or anything. It's just like it's like being in Paris. It's fantastic. You can just get a chair and sit down, and there's a water feature near it, and you can sit there and watch the water and the ducks. It's all extremely streamlined and modern. It's uh, you know you might be imagining it as more of a romantic garden, but it's very uh, very geometrical. Uh, it has
0: some nice hardscaping. It has nice, some native plants, some uh, climate-appropriate plants. I'm not sure they're all native, mm-hmm. but blooming plants, some very nice grasses. It's an example of a park that's done without this big mass of lawn. It has some lawn, but it's not all lawn. And
1: it has a big play area for kids that it's not lawn. It's like, um, it some sort of basketball
0: courts, right? It basketball,
1: have, tennis, and then there's like this kind of creative children's play area that seems to have some sort of rubber flooring, but it's... It's got hills and, and climbing things and whatnot. It's it's not a lawn space, but it is an active play space.
0: I'll put a link in the show notes to the location. It's of the great. Park it's for the kind of place where here. you
1: could like you'd actually enjoy just like walking and sitting for a while, or maybe taking a sandwich down and sitting in there. It's it's a really nice little park. So yeah, that's a good example of a, a well functioning public space.
0: I'll give our last word to uh, Erica of Northwest Edible Life, who is actually, uh, I hope, going to be our next guest next week on the podcast. And she said about artificial lawns, she said, my neighbors spend hours every summer weeding their plastic lawn. (laughs) (laughs) It's maybe the saddest gardening thing I've ever seen. (laughs) So I'm going to go with no, <laughs> fake turf is never a good idea.
1: Oh god, weeding the artificial turf, can you imagine? Oi. Oh,
0: Our next topic is fashion on the homestead, a post that I did inspired from a very unlikely source. And that is the Chilean avant-garde film director, Alejandro Jodorowsky, who is, FYI, all his films are very not safe for work. So be careful Googling them. Uh, he is a very, he's probably one of the strangest film directors. I think in, his
1: films are the weirdest films, ever, the made. Weirdest films ever made. Holy Mountain and El Topo. I mean, you know, not not easy viewing, not for the easily offended
0: and funded by the Beatles in an odd—they're
1: very psychedelic. Because these, these two films are from way back. They're from when when was Holy Mountain? So this was the sixties, or 60, early, late sixties, 60, sixty-nine, think. something like that. I think around the time I was born. Um, and th- these were psychedelic times. And these were experimental times. And Jodorowsky came out of experimental theater. So if you can imagine psychedelia with he was a experimental mime too, theater. Actually. Oh, mime. <laughs> <laughs> his, um, you know, dosed with a strong amount of um that kind of Latin surrealism, oh, you know, you get you get a very strange
0: brew. I love it, but it's uh it has a it has a mixed reception around the house. Mm. Uh I read his spiritual autobiography, which was also really entertaining and highly not safe for work as well, but there is a beautiful quote in it that inspired me to write a blog post. And I'll I'll read that quote. Uh, Jodorowsky says—actually, he visits some kind of of uh, healer in Mexico City where he lived. And, and actually, this is the voice of that healer saying this. Who's, she says, Clothing used without consciousness is a mere disguise. Holy men and women do not dress in order to appear, but in order to be. Clothes possess a form of life. When they correspond to your essence, they give you energy and become allies. When they correspond to your distorted personality, they drain your vital forces. And even when they are your allies, if you do not care for them and respect them, they will retaliate by disturbing your mind. Now, do you understand why we fold our garments so carefully as we might fold a flag or a sacred vestment? And this quote spoke to everything that I don't do, which is, take good care of my clothes and dress decently. (laughs) I'm kind of a slob around here. Now, Jodorowsky himself always looks very understated, dapper. dapper, but not ostentatious. He's usually wearing a black jacket. And he's like in a his 80s now. He's, but, in, he's in his 80s. But
1: he's he's looking good. He looks very good for nice, 85-year-old. He's got nice, like, nice leonine white hair and a beard, and and then he wears a dark suit with a sharp white shirt under it. Looking fine. And
0: he has grandchildren who are models, so it's not surprising. <laughs> but anyways, uh, he looks good, but never never pretentious. And it's true that something about who he is is spoken buy his clothing. Something about his inner self comes out there. And this this actually, I I wasn't sure what the reaction to this blog post would be, but people seem to really uh, be interested in it. And also talked about how important it is that we maybe dress a little better than we do these days. It seems like we're, well, I, I said it looks like we're all walking around in pajamas compared to the way we used to to Well, dress. we are.
1: I mean, if you're wearing like a pair of, um, un, you know, loose shorts and a T-shirt, you're basically wearing underwear of the past. You know, it's like we're walking around in our you know, in under things.
0: Yeah, there was a nice comment from a blog reader too about how he used to work with an Ethiopian man in America. And the Ethiopian man said, why do Americans look like such slobs? It doesn't cost any more to buy a decent set of pants than to wear a nice pair of jeans well,
1: you know this is also i think very um west coast i i, I have i, I mean I, I think in general in the, in, in the u s people um lean towards the casual, definitely, but I think on the East Coast, especially in the business community, people do dress up more uh here uh, you don't you hardly see it outside of banking it'd be the only place you, people wear suits and like in in Hollywood, I think people show status by Dressing down, you know, all the big directors and stuff, they look like schlubs. They're wearing their well, they're baseball hats and their. No, no, well, yeah, that's the other thing. The celebrities walk around in schlubby disguises, but, but I mean, like if you see George Lucas, you see these incredibly rich people, they, they dress like they're working out in their garage. You know, that's just how they work. And I think there is perhaps some sort of status to, uh, going to meetings and stuff, you know, in, in your, your old jeans and a t shirt.
0: Now, there is a tie in actually, it occurs to me to the, First topic, which is a hot climate drought we have here, which is how do you dress well in a hot place?
1: It's harder. Like Jodorowsky lives you, in France, so
0: he's in Paris. He walks yeah. down to the cafe in his black jacket, and it's
1: colder there, and he, you can layer. And you know, here it, it is. I always question, like, how do you dress well in a in a such a hot climate? It's very hard. I think being able to wear layers is really the key to elegance, and and it's very hard to wear more than a single layer.
0: The traditional clothes in a place like this are usually some kind of flowing white outfit,
1: like robes, long, robes, like Bedouin robes exactly. or something like that. <laughs> There's or the like Mexican folklore. Me- Mexican folklore is the,
0: also a, a white kind of flowing outfit.
1: Well, the what, like a white pants and a white short sleeve shirt for you, and uh, some sort of embroidered like dress for me. I don't know.
0: It's a tricky thing. A lot of blog commenters mention going to thrift stores, which I, I think is a yes. really good idea. Yeah. There's a lot of stuff that can no be... need to buy new. Exactly. There's no need to buy new. Although I, I have to say that I have kind of an odd shape. I'm tall but not big. And and clothing, it seems like in America you're supposed to be big and tall. But if you're tall and, and not skinny, big, tall and skinny you're...
1: isn't really a category.
0: Sleeves tend to not be long enough and things like that. It is.
1: I'm, and I'm also large for a, a woman. So when I go, it's very hard for me to find clothes that fit uh, thrift shopping. I've We used to thrift shop a lot more than we do now. Uh, and if I were smaller, I would have such a wardrobe of vintage clothing because I found so many small, because women were smaller too back in the day. And I'm a half, and a half. And I don't know. There's just not a lot of clothes from the 50s and 40s and 30s that will fit me. I love those clothes though. I've found so many beautiful clothes over the years. It just makes me weep.
0: I'm just thinking actually, I tried to sew once. My mom taught me to sew. You made a
1: couple of shirts? I
0: made a couple of shirts and they were kind of like, you know, you'd you'd wear them and people would say, did you sew that yourself? Which is not a compliment by the way. (laughs) And I'm sure there's listeners and readers to our our blog that are very uh, good Uh, Yeah, there's lots of them sewing. Yeah, it's a skill. It occurs to me that tailoring is maybe something to learn. So you would go to the thrift store and modify clothing rather than making them from scratch. Making making clothing from scratch is a very advanced project. Just shopping for fabric alone is is very confusing and difficult. And it's it the Making clothing actually reminds me of of advanced carpentry because the more further along you get in the project, the more disastrous the mistakes become. It can be very frustrating. Mm -hmm. Tailoring, not easy either. Or maybe just go to a tailor is the the right answer. Yeah,
1: find a tailor and actually support him.
0: Yeah. And then Jodorowsky, in this quote, speaks to taking care of the clothes that you have, folding them and... You know treating them properly
1: I'm really glad that your um that your uh boy crush idol mentor jodorowsky de jure is, he's is your mentor de jour me, uh, has too. spurred you into this fashion oriented this is because Eric has never had any interest in clothing and um he's he's improved perhaps from my my gentle pressure. <laughs> but, but, you know, you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make him drink. But Jodorowsky seems to be making him drink. He's all interested in this now, and, and it would be wonderful if you, um, you know, if you showed more interest in, in, in like, just like taking care of clothes, folding them, well, it's a certain amount polishing res- your shoes, and like that kind of yeah, stuff. Yeah, there's a
0: certain amount of respect to yourself and to other people that's implied by this quote that I really like that I haven't yeah. heard a lot of people talk about.
1: Yeah. And just from a thrift sort of standpoint, you know, shoes last longer if they're cared for, and, and you know, Exactly, from an clothes. ecological perspective. I also think um, that it's, as we get older, it's important for us to dress better. I, I don't know. There's something about youth. Like youth can get away with a lot because you're just so damn cute when you're young. Like everybody's cute when they're young, even if they don't think so. And they can wear any kind of old rag and they look good doing it. But I've been noticing as I'm you know skidding through middle age here that um, if I'm just wearing like sweatpants and a t-shirt or something, I look distinctly haggish, you know, and <laughs> it's not cute anymore. There's nothing, nothing cute about it. And I think as we get older, we have more of a responsibility to look sharp, you know, and I think it's, and there's something about like that, that war with, that war of attrition, that war with entropy, um, uh, you know, as you, as you age and everything starts kind of falling apart, you hold yourself together through um through looking good you know and saying i'm still proud i'm still a citizen of the world i'm not you know i'm not going to wear a uh, velour sweatsuit for the last you know years of my life i'm i'm going to be like jodorowsky and put on a put on a sharp suit and go to a cafe
0: are we going to put on a sharp suit and go to a cafe i
1: wish we would
0: now there's a problem though which is that we have to clean out chicken coops Mm, and garden and things like that and work clothes and that that brought up the notion of uh a somewhat crazy notion of a uniform around the house. Well, we always I'm talk about I'm a little scared that. by uniforms, but...
1: No, you've talked about... You're such a liar. You talked about uniforms before. You've you've, you've wanted a work uniform, a house... You wanted a Root Simple uniform where you'd, we'd be looking like Devo or something and put in like jumpsuits that are stenciled with Root Simple on them. Or you've more gone like, down that path.
0: Or More like Malevich. What was his first name? Kazimir Cas- Cas- Malevich. Kazimir Malevich. Malevich. sewed up a uniform for the Bauhaus school... A pretty sharp looking, kind of like a Nehru jacket. I'll put a. It looks kind of like a Maoist outfit, that. doesn't it? It's pretty stylish.
1: Well, and then there's a Rodachenko's uh, workers' Very outfit. Very similar, actually. It's, but it's much more um, fetishized. It's a, like a wool pullover with big, huge pockets all up and down the front, and the pockets are lined with um, leather. It's, it's nice.
0: The Bauhaus uniform actually looks more like something you would use at a drafting table, whereas. Uh, the the uh, Rodachenko uniform looks more like something you'd actually use for welding together a mm. constructivist Well, no,
1: it looks like a idealized form of that. I mean, yeah, it, it's supposed to look like kind of something you would work you'd wear in a shop, but it's so nice that it's really what you know, an intellectual will wear when he's trying to look like a worker.
0: Now, you had in your blog post a link to uh, some famous Russian or Soviet constructivist yeah, the constructivists
1: um, were very interested in um, the constructivist was an art an art movement in Russia and and actually other parts of of Europe as well in the early 20th century, uh, and they were fascinated with machinery and geometry and and things like that. And I think they split. There was a a more spiritual side, and there was also a another branch that was very interested in in, in utility, and they thought the art art should serve. Um, function art should serve the worker art should you know like artists should put their um, their attentions towards design, and part of that design was was clothes for uh, school children for athletes for workers, clothes that would break break you know because they really wanted to break from the kind of stifling uh nineteenth century nineteenth century Wardrobe paradigm. You an art history lesson. Here. I'm so yeah. I'm sorry that was my major, and I just kind of could fall into that really easily. But if you think about like how the Victorians dressed, or how the Edwardians dressed, you know, if you watch Downton Abbey, you know, the women with the corsets and the long skirts, and the men, everybody's all buttoned up tight. They wanted to break that. They wanted comfortable, functional clothing. So I, you know, I, I really uh, I admire what they were trying to do. They wanted bright colors. They we were really interested in in unisex clothing. A multi-purpose clothing. And so their designs are fascinating. It's but well, they, they yeah. seem
0: like the, the ones you posted seem very square and ideal. Well, they somehow. love – it's
1: all idealized. Yeah, they love their squares, the constructivists. And More so than practical. It's not practical. Like the image I posted of the of the uniform I would like to wear has a pattern behind it but it's not a real pattern. It's a constructivist pattern. It's a conceptual pattern. And they just like playing with the shapes of it, but it wouldn't actually function as any sort of pattern to lead you to making that garment.
0: Now, the problem with it, of course, it would mark you as an eccentric person in yes. our neighborhood. Now, our neighborhood does have a couple of famous eccentric people. We more have than a dollar. Yeah, more than a couple. We have $5 man. We have the bird man. And the late, uh, the, famous walking man of Silver Lake. Who walking walked, reading man. Walking reading man. He was
1: a doctor who walked maybe 20 miles a day while reading a folded newspaper. But that's
0: another. That's a whole other episode. He was amazing. If he you was, actually took to these uniforms, you would be crazy... Crazy constructivist, constructivist lady woman.
1: Yeah. I it would be wearing like kind of a a basic dress, uh, sort of a 20s style dress with an apron over the front of it. But I, there are some details about... The constructivist Russian dress, which makes it not not so much like some gunny sack dress or some sort of little house on the prairie dress. It's got some edge to it, which I kind of like. It's kind of comfortable looking.
0: It's actually pretty nice, but then it it does get back to the Jodorowsky quote: "Is that really you know?" Is, is that it me, or is that you, a costume? or, that, yeah, it's, it's or am is I finding, or
1: is what I'm wearing right now, are my jeans and t-shirts a costume? That is that is, yes, am I pretending to be normal? You know, maybe I'm not normal. Maybe I need to wear a constructivist dressed to find what I actually am. One thing I've always been interested in is is just the fact that until until clothing became very cheap, which is a very, very recent uh, innovation, and, and of course an innovation that came on the backs of a, a lot of oppressed peoples, people didn't have many outfits. That's why old closets and wardrobes are so small, because You you had just a a handful of things to wear. You had a good Sunday outfit. You had an outfit for uh, labor, uh, work in the yard or whatever. And you had a couple of things to wear during the week, whether you were a man or a woman. Men still can get away with that more, especially if you work in an office. You have a few suits, and that does it for you. Women, there's this expectation that you have this huge wardrobe with all these different possibilities and accessories and da 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 But they used to just have a couple of dresses. That was it you know and you could wear a new bonnet you know that would you know but there so there but those but those clothes were really well made and they fit them well and they lasted a long time and they were kept clean by using an apron on top and also by wearing long um, shifts underneath, like a a long, you know, uh, light garment underneath that would, you know, soak up the sweat and whatever. And then you could wash that. And and the dress itself didn't need to be washed. So it saved labor as well. And I really like that idea. I I feel like I'm always doing laundry. All of our stupid, raggedy clothing gets washed over and over again. It's just stupid. It's just so we don't stink, you know, basically. But just piles of raggedy jeans and raggedy t-shirts and pullover shirts that... That I get washed, and it's like, why? And I have this fantasy that I could, I could just wash my, my undershifts and that's all, and then hang them up to dry in the sun. (laughs) And I don't know. It is, it is a fantasy. Or maybe just take to
0: a fur loincloth or something. That would be attractive.
1: That would be, and and also hot and itchy in, in LA in August. (laughs) That's a good point. (laughs) Would I have a top?
0: Oh, that's it now. Now we're or, getting into not safe for. Work well, territory. you you
1: told me. Are, are you speaking of yourself? Will you be wearing the uh, fur loincloth?
0: I think this is a difficult subject, and I don't think we'll we'll get any easy resolution to this. How we can dress in this sort of crazy postmodern existence that we live here in in the West, and where
1: we can choose to be anything we want. Exactly, so we're very privileged.
0: I I guess to wrap this up, I always think of. And maybe this is a non sequitur, but uh, as, as David Lee Roth said, it's not whether you win or lose, it's how good you look. <laughs> I'm not sure exactly what, how that applies here. You but just, want to, quote David just want to quote David Lee Roth. I just want to quote David Lee Roth. Anyways, I think this is a topic clearly that was of interest to our readers, and there were many, many good um, comments. And I, I think it's something we'll revisit in the future yes indeed okay I think that's it for the podcast this week we have no questions we have no questions oh people we need questions
1: we need questions
0: Uh, to leave a question for the Root Simple podcast you can call us at area code 213-537-2591 or send us an email at rootsimple at gmail.com put question in the subject line we are Root Simple on Twitter if you like the podcast please leave a comment for us in the iTunes store We're also in Stitcher, by the way, if that floats your boat. Our theme music is by Dr. Frankenstein. Additional music by Roe. Thank you for listening.
1: Thank you.